This is Top of Mind. It is great to have you along today. I'm Julie Rose. The Vice President of the United States is just a heartbeat away from being leader of the free world. But so long as the president is alive and well, the VP's job is not a great one. At least that's how a lot of past vice presidents have viewed it. Not worth a bucket of warm spit, said FDR's vice president. About as useful as a cow's fifth teat, said Harry Truman, who was a VP before he became president. More recently, vice presidents have described the job as awkward and uncomfortable. There is a new movement underway collecting signatures to have vice presidents elected separately in the United States. It's called Vice.Run. David Blake is the group's co-founder, and he joins us now. Hi there. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, nice to be with you. Why would it make a difference if a vice president ran on his or her own versus kind of paired up with a president the way we currently have it? Yeah, first, I think a lot of people don't actually appreciate that this is already the right that the Constitution gives us. So the 12th Amendment of the Constitution calls for a distinct list and a distinct ballot for the election of the vice president. And we haven't always done things the way we are doing it now. And it's been a a slow evolution. So this is not entirely calling for something new. This is calling for more the way uh, that the Constitution intends this office to be elected. Right. I want to talk about the history of this in a moment because it's really interesting. And also the legal arguments that you make are fascinating. But but why? I mean, why does it matter? What, what's wrong? What, what problem are you trying to fix here? Well, the vice presidency is one of the checks and balances that the founding fathers gave us on divided government. And we are so divided right now, and it reflects in this office. So just in the over just over two years that Mike Pence has been in office, he has already cast more tie-breaking votes than any vice president since 1841. And so when we are divided, this office, it matters. And a lot of substantial decisions and legislation and even appointees have been decided by Mike Pence. And yet none of us got to choose or democratically elect Mike Pence. Okay, so there's two. So there's two problems you're highlighting here. One is that the vice president is more powerful today or has a has a bigger role than maybe we think we tend to think. And the mm -hmm. second part is that because of that, it doesn't seem democratic in your mind that we don't actually get to choose that person, that it's the party and the presidential candidate that get to do the choosing. I mean, but what is the what's the vice president's job supposed to be? I mean, basically, he's. He or she's the backup guy, right? I mean, that is, is there an actual function? Why, why does it matter in, in, in American society that we have a functioning vice president? Yeah, going back to that check and balance, when the founding fathers had to anticipate all the ways in which a democracy might break, they appreciated that one of the scenarios they would have to protect us against is what happens when we are evenly divided, when we are split. In, in, and, in Congress, when, when there are an equal number of senators on either side of an issue and somebody has to break the tie. Yeah. And they could have just given that tie-breaking power to the president, but they didn't. They knew that the president was going to be sitting somewhere, you know, early on, uh, most likely in Virginia. And that when it came to, you know, a tie, that that could be a really divisive thing for a democracy. And they wanted to vest that power Somewhere that was a check both on the power of the legislative branch, but was also um, a check on the president. And they vested that power in its own office, the vice presidency. And, um, you know, right now, as mentioned with Mike Pence, we're seeing that come up a lot. But we don't 
we no longer have that check and balance. We no longer have an independent um, uh, elected official executing those tie-breaking votes. We now have a presidential proxy. And that's happened because our presidential nominees are choosing their uh, vice presidents. But there is no constitutional claim for doing it that way. The better system, you think the system that the founders intended, and we'll talk about what they intended in a moment, because they changed their minds after a couple of decades. But um, initially, the, the idea of the vice president is that they sh- that, that it, this should be somebody who would be a, a tiebreaker for Congress, but also a check on the president's power? Yeah. Because so the... that seems weird, because we have three branches of government. The vice president is in the executive branch, but checking another member of the executive branch? So the vice presidency is unique. It is the only office in our entire government that has a role in two branches of government. So the vice president is the president of the Senate and the senior most legislator, and they are the first in line of succession and the junior executive in the White House. And so it really is a very unique role. It's, um, and that's part of why I believe it can be a solution for this moment in our history, which is it can act as sort of the go-between, sort of the bridge, this domestic diplomat, if you will, between the executive and the legislative branch of government. When you think about the check and balance that a vice president is supposed to be on president, yes. You know, right now, if Donald Trump if we had democratically elected our vice president, you know, uh, the president and uh, legisl- and our um, congressmen, they would have to be anticipating and thinking differently, writing legislation differently. If they knew they were writing legislation that was likely to be highly divisive, that could potentially go to a tie, and that they had to then get it passed through a democratically elected vice president who was representing the will of the people and giving consideration to then the constituents of, of, you know, the American people. But instead, they know that the vice president will just rubber stamp for the president any tie that falls uh, to the vice president's desk. Wow. OK, so you you think I'm still trying to get my head around how you think this would solve the division, the divisiveness that we're experiencing right now. So we've got um, just to kind of lay the, 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 the table here. We have we have the U.S. Senate which is uh, right now has a the, the Republicans have a slim majority control of the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. We, we have the U.S. House, which the Democrats have a slim majority control of. And then we have the president. We have the White House, the president and the vice president. Um, OK, so we've already got, you know, the president who doesn't always see eye to eye with the Republicans. And we've got obviously the Republicans and the Democrats that don't always see eye to eye. And the Democrats don't always see eye to eye with the president. So you're talking about adding a th- another perspective <laughs> into that that may not see eye to eye with the president, may not see eye to eye with the Democrats. I mean, it just doesn't seem like that solves the problem. It seems like it adds more division to the to the system if you go back to literally the the longest government shutdown i mean this is um the stakes i mean they're at the onset of the government shutdown it's earlier in the year we all saw if you watch cnn the scene of nancy pelosi and chuck schumer arguing with donald trump in the oval office and sitting in his armchair was mike pence saying literally nothing Mm. And in that argument that shut down our government, kept us from being able to keep a functioning government open, there was only one person in that conversation, one person whose office 
is supposed to be the go-between and the bridge. And the only person in that room who had a, a designation on both sides of that conversation was Mike Pence. And he literally said nothing at all. We are wasting the office. And it is not how the office was intended. It was not supposed to be a presidential lapdog. To restore this office, we need to be uh, have vice presidents who are running on the strength of their ideas, who are telling us how they would use that office with its unique capabilities as the only office that's a bridge between the legislative and executive branches of government. We need vice presidents who have to run on the merits of how they would use that office and then let us elect them on the strength of how they would use that office and then go and execute that office in that way. But what we have right now is a silent vice president who makes it into office on the coattails of a presidential nominee who is then not responsible or really has any sort of democratic mandate from the American people and who discharges the um, office entirely beholden to the president who got them there. Speaking with David Blake, who is co-founder of the organization Vice.Run, which is collecting signatures in order to get a vice presidential office on the ballot so that we could elect vice presidents separately from the paired ticket that we are currently using, where you've got the Democratic presidential ticket. And it it includes it's a two for one. You get the vice president and the president at the same time. Same on the Republican side. Um, Vice.Run would like to see that separated. Now, what what it's the history of this is really interesting. I was entirely unaware of it until reading the materials that you guys have provided on your website, David. Blake. So um, initially, vice back, uh, let's say before 1800, how was the vice president of the United States selected? Yeah, the runner up um, in the Electoral College became the vice president. So we got John Adams as vice president and Thomas Jefferson as vice president that way. And okay, then when, so so what uh, runner up meaning uh, a bunch of people ran for president most. and whoever was second place got to be the consolation prize of vice president. Correct. Okay. Which meant that you could get, I mean, you could get a a president and a vice president. I mean, that would be like having Donald Trump with his (laughs) vice president being Hillary Clinton, right? I mean, you could have like completely opposite people who don't agree, can't get along, serving effectively in the same branch. And that's not what we're calling for. That was a problematic situation for a couple of reasons. And that's what the 12th Amendment then sought to fix and address. So the founders figured this out pretty early on then. Uh, Tell us about the the elections that sort of uh, caused them to make this change. Yeah. So um, Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr then both ran for president and they actually tied. They got the exact same number of electoral votes. It then went to the House to be decided. They voted and tied. They voted and tied. It had to go to 30 plus um, uh, votes before Alexander Hamilton was able to convince enough of the Federalists um, to switch their vote. And Thomas Jefferson becomes our president and Aaron Burr becomes our vice president. Thomas Jefferson, in the acrimony of all that, says this wasn't a good way of doing it. We need to change this. And he gives us the 12th Amendment which separated the offices. It made the office of the president and the office of the vice president completely independent of each other. Hmm. And it calls for, in the 12th Amendment, a distinct list and a distinct ballot for the election of vice president. And the idea was that the vice president, somebody would declare that I'm going to be vice president of the United States, and then they'd run a whole campaign for, for vice president specifically. We've seen that. So with Calhoun, he ran directly for the office and won it. 
Um, and someone could run for vice president today. Our Constitution um, permits that. Hmm. But what began to essentially um, uh, really steal our 12th Amendment rights away from us, we the people, and give it to the parties and eventually to the presidential nominees was the ballot. It's really the history of the ballot. And so early on, we didn't have the ballots as we have them today. Our ballot today, the secret ballot or the Australian ballot, um, when we went to vote in 2016, there was only one checkbox for Donald Trump and Mike Pence or one checkbox for Hillary Clinton, and Tim Kaine. Right. But back then, we didn't have ballots. When they went to vote, they would write a name and put it in a box. And what you saw was the introduction of party ballots. So parties would stand outside the polling places and give you essentially a brochure of all of their candidates. So that was the start of this sort of, you know, straight party um, voting or straight party ticket. Mm. And that would be the foundation of how the parties began to assert influence over um, presidents and vice presidents. And then FDR would end up being the first um, uh, one to pick his running mate instead of uh, the parties or the party bosses. Interesting. Um, And so getting, so if someone wanted to declare themselves a candidate for vice president of the United States in 2020, I mean, the Constitution says they can do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what would it take, though? We, there wouldn't have to be a constitutional amendment or any kind of change to the 12th Amendment for that to happen. Um, Correct. But what would that person need to do in order to get their name listed as an you know, independent, not affiliated with, a, uh, with any of the mm-hmm. other tickets you know, on the ballot as a vice president? You're absolutely correct in that we already have the constitutional amendment that permits all of this and it's already um, our truth. So the electoral college, because of the 12th amendment, they already vote separately for president and vice president. Mm. And so, uh, and, and sometimes this is confusing, but we go to the polls, we vote, but we only get the choice, you know, Democrat, democratic ticket or Republican ticket right on the presidential race. And mm-hmm. then all of those, every state has a certain number of electors that go to the electoral college. And, and then depending on how the state does it, however many votes various candidates get, that's how many electors will go to the electoral college vote and they'll cast their ballot, right? So it's kind of this tiered thing that takes place. Exactly. And that's right at the heart of the 12th Amendment and how all this works, which is the Constitution gives the states the right to be deciding how to choose the electors. And so, you know, it's not the nominees and it's not the parties, it's the states. So in every state, we have the right to be deciding how we are going to pick the electors. And the way you asked, how would you, if someone ran um, today for vice president, how, what would need to happen? What would you need to do? Well, we already have the 12th Amendment and most ballot access laws in each state reflect because of the truth of the 12th Amendment. They reflect how a vice president would get on the ballot. And so we at vice.run, we are pointing at those ballot access laws that say, you know, here on your own, in your state laws, are laws that reflect how vice presidents would independently get on the ballot. And each state has different signature thresholds. So we are gathering signatures and pointing at the ballot access laws in every state to begin to affect the change of getting um, a distinct list on each ballot for president and vice president as the 12th Amendment reflects. And so we're gathering state by state 
the signature is required to do so. Okay, so so the state of Utah, where I'm sitting, then could if if you get enough signatures, I think you guys actually did recently get enough signatures. So so that would mean that if somebody wanted to run for vice president, his or her name could be listed on the ballot, but. There will probably also, well, there for sure will be a Democratic ticket and a Republican mm-hmm. ticket, and the Republican ticket will probably be Trump and Pence, and then who knows who the Democrats will have up there. But then you'll have this, like, odd man or woman out who will be this kind of random individual who wants to be vice president. How do you see that actually working? Because one of that is that person's not going to be able to, like, boot Mike Pence off of the Republican <laughs> ticket. Yeah, I mean, I think it will take, we have to begin to imagine what this office could be, and people will have to start to run um, on those possibilities. But you could imagine, you know, um, there's even inside the Republican Party, um, you've got people like John Kasich, who, you know, have talked about challenging Trump for the um, presidential nomination. But if history is any guide, you know, there's no chance that you can um, unseat the incumbent. But someone like John Kasich could decide you know, in this future where you are able to seek the office um, directly on the ballot, mm-hmm. he could decide to run for vice president. And so you could see, you know, serious um, competition and, and, you know, the office contested between serious candidates like a John Kasich um, versus Mike Pence for the vice presidency. And that would force them to run on the strength of, you know, their own ideas and how they intend to mm-hmm. discharge the office. Would the states, though, have to change the way that they allot? Because right now they're in the habit, aren't they, of allotting their electors uh, based on, you know, this party system that we've got here. And so if you had a Republican ticket that wins all the elector votes, but then you also have this vice presidential candidate kind of on their own, somehow some electors would have to cast a ballot for that that role instead of for Mike Pence, right? Uh, I mean, it, practically speaking, I guess the question here is, David Blake, given that the Republican <laughs> and Democratic parties are so powerful and have so much money and are so deeply entrenched in our system, is there is there any way to do this without the buy-in of the Democrats and Republicans? You summarized it really well. At its heart, at its core, this is one of our constitutional rights that the parties and their influence have stolen over time. And this movement is really about us standing up for our rights and a conversation about the ways in which the parties have Um, co-opted our rights, have stolen our rights. The Constitution gives the parties no rights. Um, And so, yes, this is something that, you know, we are up against the establishment. We are up against sort of the status quo. Tradition is on their side, but the Constitution is on our side. And it's up to us, we the people, to stand up for the rights to this office um, and to decide, you know, government by the people, for the people, how we want to discharge um, our government in this office. And, you know, and that's that's a fight for the ages. David Blake is the co-founder of Vice.Run. You can find out more about their movement. Uh, that's the name of the URL, actually, Vice.Run. So you can look that up online if you want to be part of that movement. Thanks a lot for your time today. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it.